0: As we get into this morning's uh, message, I want to start by sharing with you something. Pastor Brian, uh, from our Belmont campus, we are one church with two locations, Belmont and Burlington, and Pastor Brian over in Belmont, he shared something with me that, I, that we thought was appropriate to start this morning's message with. It is some answers that kids gave on tests some answers that kids gave to some questions that were asked them on test. I don't know if you've ever taken a test and uh, maybe given a wrong answer uh, or you get them all right, Uh, but sometimes there's some creative answers that are given when you don't exactly know the right answer. So here's some of the answers. The first one was this. The first cells were probably, and the answer that was given, lonely. There you go, that was crazy. Second one, Second answer to the test, uh, find X, and the answer is X is here. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> Those of you that haven't taken geometry yet are thinking, yeah, that's a good answer. What is the problem? Next, uh, next one, where was the American Declaration of Independence signed? at the bottom. Some of you knew that one. Some of you knew that one. Some of you knew that one. And the next one was draw a plant cell and identify its most important parts. That one took me a minute. I stared at that one. I said, what? But uh, there you go. Most important parts of a plant cell. What ended in 1896? Some of you have already said it, it was 1895. (laughs) That's a fair answer too. Next one, write an example of a risk. This, there you go. I suppose this is an example. You're probably going to get that question wrong. How might Colombia solve the problem of guerrillas trying to control the country? And the answer was, if a country can't figure it out, how can I? You thought it was going to be something about controlling guerrillas, didn't you? I thought that was fair. Uh, imagine that you lived at the same time as Abraham Lincoln. What would you say to him or ask him? And the advice this person would give, I'd tell him not to go to a play ever. (laughs) Don't ever go to a play. In the space below, please write any overall comments about this course or instructor not covered above. If I had one hour to live, I'd spend it in this class because it feels like an eternity. (laughs) Most of those were just for fun, and I appreciate Pastor Brian sharing them, uh, but I actually want to talk about that last one. If you had one hour left to live, you know, what would you do? A lot of people talk about that. You know, if I had one hour, if you had one hour left to live, if you had one day left to live, if you had one year left to live, what were the things you would do? What would you do differently maybe than you're doing now? But actually the question I want to ask you this morning is if you had one prayer left to pray, what would you pray? If you had one prayer left to pray, what would you pray? It's an interesting question. What are the things you'd pray for? What was the time you'd take for prayer? Actually, in the life of Jesus, we have an answer to this because in Jesus' time on earth, there was a time right before he went to the cross and he prayed and he took time to pray one final prayer before going to the cross. John chapter 17 talks about he records this. And the question is, what would you pray? What did Jesus pray is probably even a more important question. Just before going to the cross, just before going through all that he went through with the cross and, the, and, and crucifixion and then the resurrection, he took time to pray. And I don't know what you would pray for in that moment if you had one last moment to pray, but I think it's important to look at what Jesus prayed for. And we're going to do that this morning and over the next three weeks during our B1 message. Just a quick three-week series on B1 from John chapter 17. Jesus prays in John chapter 17 verse 20. First of all, who does he pray for? He says, I do not ask. He's praying to God the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So first of all, we look at who Jesus prays for. Jesus takes time in this moment to pray for his disciples for sure. He prays for those men and who are following him, who had followed him for the three years of his ministry, and who now he was going to entrust his church to. But he does something else. He says this, I pray also, say these words with me, for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? It's us. That's everyone after the disciples who decided to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Every one of us, if you're in this room today and you're a Christian and you have your faith and trust in Jesus, it's because there was a follower of Jesus way back in the first century, one of the disciples who told, someone, who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, who told someone through the years who eventually told you and you believed through their word. And Jesus prayed for you, and he prayed for me. That is, if you fall in that category of those who believe in me. Jesus prayed for those who would put their faith and their trust in him, their belief in him, that, you would, that if you put your belief in him, in other words, you've come to him, you've repented of your sin, and you've trusted him for your salvation, Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed this prayer particularly for those who would believe in him who came after his disciples. And what does he pray? John chapter 17, verse 21. And this is his prayer. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Jesus has one last prayer to pray. Who does he pray for? He prays for his disciples and those that will believe in him through them. And what does he pray? He prays that they would be one, that there would be a unity between those who will believe in Jesus Christ. He prays that they would be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, or as other translations put it, that they would be one just as you and I are one. That's a pretty bold prayer when you think about it. And I know I'm not going to get too deep into theology this morning, but when we talk about God, we talk about the fact that we worship and serve the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All God, one God in three persons. We don't serve three different gods, and we don't serve one God that just shows up in three different places. We serve one God that is evident in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. From the very beginning of Scriptures, it testifies to this. Very beginning, Genesis says, let us create Man in our own image, there is a plurality in God that's there from the very beginning, even amidst the unity of one God. We don't completely understand this. It's a mystery that we don't all. Uh, we don't always get right. A lot of our metaphors and analogies, they fall short at some point. But the point is that Jesus prays that just as you and I, Father, are one, I pray that those who follow me will also be one that's a pretty extreme kind of oneness that Jesus prays for. Jesus wants you and me sitting beside these seats, the back of the head that you're staring at, to be one the way God the Father and God the Son are one. There's a pretty high standard that he calls us to and a standard that we probably often fall short of as we're trying to love one another, but a standard that we ought to aim for He calls us to be one. He prays that we would be one. In fact, like I said, this is his last prayer that his followers would be one. There's a reason he asked for it and we'll get to that in just a moment. But if this is the prayer of Jesus and his prayer is that we will be one as he and the Father are one, then the question becomes how are Jesus and the Father one? What do they look like that we should look like? That's a pretty involved question. But if you just look at some of the accounts we have of Jesus and his words about the Father. There's just two points that I want us to look at this morning of how Jesus and the Father are one and how we as his followers are to be one. Just two points this morning I want us to look at quickly so that we understand the thing that Jesus is actually calling us to and how great a standard he's calling us to. The first one is this That Jesus is calling us to be one in the way that he was one in his identity. Here's what I mean by this. Jesus, in his interaction with the Father, found his identity in his relationship to his Father. Scriptures like John chapter 10, verse 30, says, I and the Father are one. This is where we get that Trinitarian concept. There's a oneness in the Trinity, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry during his baptism, he was baptized and a voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He got his identity and he found his identity in God the Father. And this, this, I, the fact that he found his identity in God the Father shows us that we also If we're going to be one like God and Jesus are one, we have to find our identity in God as well. There's a lot of times in this world where someone might ask you, well, who are you? And one of the ways you might define yourself is how you relate to someone else. I'm a husband. I'm a father of two children. I'm a son. Uh, I'm a part of a church community. I'm a part of Mount Hope. How I relate to other people might be a way that we do that all the time. We try and define ourselves by how we relate to other people. What our relationship is, what Jesus is saying, is your primary identity ought to come from not who the people you relate to, but the God that you relate to. That my primary identity comes from the fact that I, as a believer, am a child of God. I don't know how quickly that answer comes to your mind when I say, who are you? More quickly often comes, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, you know, I'm this, I'm that. I'm, I, I, what I do for an occupation maybe comes to my mind. But for Jesus, I and the Father are one. That his relationship to the Father would define who he is above and beyond anything else. And for you and I, if we're going to be one, one thing we need to understand is that each and every one of us, our primary and core identity comes from the fact that we have put our faith and trust in God, that He is our Father, and that He is the one thing that unites us together. We're one in our identity that comes from us. And the fact is that more often than the more strong than the things that divide us is that one fact, that we are children of God. And this one thing ought to try. This one thing ought to unite us more than anything else. You know, you often try and find connections with people uh, when you meet someone you don't know. I've done it, and maybe I've done it with you, if I'm the first time I met you at this church, right? I, I, the conversation went something like this. Oh, what, where do you live? Oh, you live in that town. Well, what part of that town? Oh, you live in that part of the town. Well, well, you know, what street? Oh, oh, what school do you... We, you know, you have conversations with people you don't know. You keep going back and back and back and back until you try and find one piece of connection, one piece of contact with each other. We try and find... We often do that because we want to connect with people. You know, we do it even in, in times when we know it doesn't make any sense. Like I'll, I'll say to someone, yeah, I went to Texas to visit my in-laws. And they'll say, oh, I know. I got friends in Texas. Do they know? And you know, that makes no logical sense. Out of the millions of people that live in Texas and the size of Texas, they probably don't know each other. So why do we do that? Because we have this long thing to connect with people. And here's the thing when it comes to Christianity when it comes to following Jesus, you and I have something that connects us that is far deeper than any other connection we'll find in this world, and that is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and God as our Father, and that ought to unite us more than anything that could come between us or divide us, and the fact is what Jesus is saying is his identity is found in the Father, and our identity should first be found in the Father. And we're tempted to find our identity in so many other places. And there's true things about us. But the first true thing, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, is that I am a Christian, a child of God, and God is my Father, and Jesus is my Savior. And if that comes first, everything else comes second at best. So yes, I'm a husband. Yes, I'm a husband who's a Christian, but let's not get those words in that order. I am a Christian follower of Jesus, who also happens to be a husband. And so that informs my role as husband. Yes, I'm a father, but I am a Christian who is a father, not a father who happens to be a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Christ is my first identity, and I put him first in my life, and everything else comes behind that. It's easy in those categories, but how about some harder categories? I don't know about you, but me, when those, uh, and those surveys I have to fill out, when I check the box, I check the box that I'm white, Caucasian, whatever that might be. They usually, uh, they, that might surprise some of you, but I am. Um, <laughs> some of you thought I was Middle Eastern or whatever. I, I've gotten Mexican before. Some people thought I was Mexican. Uh, Pakistani, some people thought I was from Pakistan. Uh, but, uh, but I check the white box That's the box I check, Caucasian, but that's not my primary identity. You might check the black box. Maybe you check the Asian box. I don't know what box you check. But if you're a Christian and a follower of Christ, the first box we check, even though it's not on there, is I am a Christian who's a child of God. That's who I am first. Everything else comes second at best. That my primary identity First comes as a follower of Christ, and that must inform everything else. Now, does that erase the fact that there are distinctions and differences between us? Of course not. In fact, even when we get to heaven, those differences are not erased. Because God says there'll be people from every tribe, every nation, and every language. So there will still be differences somehow among us in the beauty of God's creation. So there's certainly, the differences are still there. And and quite frankly, we all know what the differences cause problems at times in our world that we need to address out of our Christian heritage, theology, and belief. We address those. But primary in our identity, those of us that believe, is the fact that we follow Christ. And this ought to unite us. And so in the body of Christ, the unfortunate thing is, we often have things that divide us and I think override the fact and take precedent over the fact that first and foremost, God is our Father. Our trust is in Him and that brings us together and there ought to be some unity together in that when we understand that first. read a story about um, Reverend E.V. Hill, African-American preacher, when he was in college uh, growing up in the fifties and sixties and very segregated part of the country, went to college in the south. Um, And he was a part of a trip uh, that went with the Baptist Student Union, was going through the south, a trip to Tennessee, and it was uh, from this university, it was both uh, black kids and white kids that were in the car, as he said, and he said, uh, in his words, the trip was through the south was by car, three whites and two blacks traveling together. I had no idea how we'd eat or how we'd sleep. So great was my anxiety and hatred over how the trip might turn out that I almost backed out entirely. In all my experience, I had never seen a white man stand up for a black man, and I I never felt I would. But then Dr. Howard, the director of our trip and a white man, spoke up. He said, We'll be traveling together, he said. If there isn't a place where all of us can eat, none of us will eat. If there's not a place all of us can sleep, none of us will sleep. That was all he said, but it was enough. For the first time in my life, I had met a white man who was Christian enough to take a stand with a Christian black man. And the fact that our Christianity ought to inform all these other things and our Christian identity must come first before all these other things that divide us. And so if we're going to be one, we're going to have to first find our identity in God the Father. If we're going to have unity together, the first thing we need to know is that we are connected through the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ, the creation of God, the fact that we bear the image of God, the fact that Jesus came hung on a cross, died, was resurrected, and is preparing a place for each of us, that ought to unite us and bring us together more than anything else. So the first thing is we ought to be one in our identity. The second thing that Jesus, as you look at the life of Jesus, is he was one with his Father, in, is the second thing, he was one in his actions. His actions, Jesus' unity with the Father is displayed in his identity and his actions. So the next uh, verse in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, uh, it says this, "'So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise.'" This is, I started the message out by saying this is God the Son. There are one God, three persons. Can't Jesus do whatever he wants to do? Of course he could. But the way the Trinity works, the way they relate to one another, he voluntarily submits himself, and this ought to inform us when we have all these negative connotations about the word submit, Jesus voluntarily submits himself to the Father and to his will and to his work. And he says, I only do what I see my father doing. I, I only do what I see him doing. He's one with God in his actions. And so as followers, we ought also to be one in our actions. We ought also to look at what our father is doing and then do that. Imagine if one body all together, we're just focusing on what God would have us to do and representing him in the way that we lived. Children ought to look like their fathers, right? Children, children at, at times will automatically. Should, I should preface that not everyone had a father that you want to emulate. Children will sometimes, no matter what, look like their father at times. I remember uh, a story my life that I was don't really remember. I was actually I remember it because I've been told it so many times. Um, when I was a, a kid, maybe four, five years old or so, uh, we were at the beach with, uh, with my family. While we were at the beach, uh, my uh, dad had a, had a boat there at the beach, and they, were, they would go out on the water. And at times, uh, one of the things I would do is I'd want to be helpful, and I'd want to do and see do what my father was doing and others were doing. And so one of the things that would happen at the beach with the boat is I always saw that somebody, when the boat came into the beach, would go out to meet the boat and pull it into the beach, right? If you're on the beach, someone's coming in, you go out and you help them and you pull it in and you help them into the beach. That's just one of the things you do. Well, one time, apparently the boat was coming into the beach. Everyone got off the boat and after a little while, and I don't know how long a a while it was, but after a little while, someone said, where's Ricky? Because they didn't call me Pastor Rick back then. Someone... (laughs) So someone said, where's Ricky? And someone said, I don't know. Where is he? And I don't know how they found me, but somehow they found me underneath the boat that I had apparently gone out, tried to pull in the boat, and the boat ended up on top of me. Apparently, there was still enough air to breathe, and, uh, or if they found me quick enough. I don't know. One way or the other, I'm still here. But here's the point. The point is, why would I do that? Why would you do that? Well, because I saw my father do that, because because I imitated, I was imitating something that I saw happen, and that's what kids do, and that's what happens. And if we are children of God, then we ought to be one in action in doing the things that we see our father doing. So Christians ought to look like Jesus because Jesus did only what he saw his father doing. So what did Jesus do? He said, well, very simply, I've came to seek and to save the lost. If Jesus is doing only what he sees his Father doing, and he said, I came to seek and to save the lost, that's his main action, that's his main mission, then we also ought to make that our main action and our main mission, have come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the last words Jesus gave before he left. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is your mission. And we get so, we lose track sometimes. So many other things can take our attention in so many different directions. So many other things could take our focus in so many different ways. We ought to look like our father. Are we out about seeking and saving the lost? Now there's other things that God cares about and that we ought to care about. But in the midst of that, we keep it seeking and saving the lost. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure religion is this, to visit the widows and the orphans and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's, your, that's something, in other words, God cares about the widows. God cares about the orphans. God cares about those who are oppressed. God cares about those that have a voice, and we ought to care about them too. We ought to look like God our Father and always in the midst of that looking to seek and to save that which is lost, looking to share the gospel. We say it, I say it uh, pretty often around here that our mission is to take this hope that we have around the block and around the world. That that's, that's our prayer, that's what we're here for. We've received good news, but we're supposed to share it with others. And so wherever you are, uh, you're there to seek and to save the lost in the workplace where God has you in the school where God has you, in the neighborhood that God has you. In some ways you're there on mission from God to do what you see your father doing, seek and to save the lost and caring for those who need caring, caring for those who are oppressed, caring for those who are forgotten in many ways by this world. Those are the widows and the orphans in, uh, in James' day. Those ones that if someone didn't care for them, nobody would be caring for them. They didn't have a voice there. I got a, um, just this morning, as an example of this, just this morning I got an email from a ministry, local ministry. that I, I'm not going to share the details with you because I haven't asked permission yet. Again, I just got this email this morning. But they were doing a, it's, it's a ministry that uh, reaches out to um, uh, care and love uh, women who are uh, sex trafficked and, and, and caught in that uh, type of thing and reaches out to them, but reaches out to them in the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus. And they care for these women and they take them in. And so this morning, I got this email. said two, two of our ladies uh, did, a, did a hike that we had planned, and they made it all the way to the top. They had a group that were raising money for the ministry. They made it all the way to the top. They hiked Mount Washington. On the ride home, we had the ladies in the car with us, and a woman, M, she calls her, asked this question, how do I know if I'm ready to be saved? And this... Uh, This woman, my friend, says, you can be sure that uh, my husband and I immediately began to pray. As you may know, she asked for a Bible about a month ago and has been reading it in earnest. We talked about what salvation was, how much Jesus loved her and has forgiven her, and how she merely needs to believe this and she's saved. And then I asked her, you can wait till tomorrow to go to church, but the reality is you can be saved anywhere. Do you want to be saved right now in the back seat of our car? Her reply was yes. Her husband uh, suggested they pull over. We were driving by uh, one of their favorite spots and through a lot of tears and a lot of prayer in that moment, in that space right there. This woman prayed and gave her heart to the Lord and her life and her eternity is changed forever. And I tell you this story, and it's a timely story because this, I only do what I see my father doing, caring for those who are thrown out by this world, caring for those who are abused in the world we lived in and sharing with them not only uh, help but hope, sharing with them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, that eternity, that God the Father has not forgotten them. And so Jesus is one with the Father in action and we also ought to be one with him in our actions. So our identity and our actions, if we're going to be one, ought to look like Jesus's. So our identity is found in God, and our actions are rooted in what God does. And imagine a church that would look like that. Imagine a church that would be so united because they know that they have the same Father. Imagine a church that would be so united in the action that they're only doing what God the Father does. All those who are hurting in this world, all those who are trying to fix the brokenness that exists around us need to know that Jesus is the answer. Our unity in who we are and what we do is a powerful demonstration to the world of who Jesus is. When people look and see believers divided because we forget our common identity, they see hypocrisy between what we believe and what we do. It's a powerful demonstration to the world that maybe Jesus... Is not who he says he is. If he can't unite a bunch of people that look a little different, then how powerful could this God be? If these people are always fighting with each other who say that God saved them and that God is their father, then how powerful could he be? But if he can unite people who in the rest of the world often fight with each other, are often at odds, often can't get along. And if they can get along and come together under the name of Jesus Christ, well, that's where Jesus, and we'll get to this the next couple weeks, says that that becomes one of the most powerful witnesses to the whole world of who Jesus is and what he's able to do. That if we got this right in a world longing and searching for unity... What if we, as the people of God, were able to live this out, to be torchbearers of what true unity really looks like? Jesus had one prayer left, and he prayed for unity because he knew it was essential to the mission so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the ultimate thing, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks, but so that the world may believe that you sent me. What's the ultimate example to the world that Jesus is God? that Jesus and the Father are one when his followers are one, when his followers love one another. And this happens when we find our identity in God and we do what the Father does. So as we close this morning, the question is for us, have we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ? Do we have that connection that connects us as believers? It should bring unity because then when... His believers are working together. That's when something great can be accomplished. Imagine imagine a room full of great craftsmen. Imagine a room full of great builders and craftsmen. You have iron workers, and you have uh, cement people, and you have people that uh, drive uh, backhoes, and people that uh, can, can pour a foundation for a building, people that, you have glass workers, and you have all these people that contribute. Imagine them in a room together, all these great craftsmen. They can accomplish something great together. But if they're not all working off the same set of blueprints, nothing great is ever going to get built. And I think it's the same way with us as Christians. You and I have these great gifts that God has given to us. But if we run in our own direction and just focus on our gift or our little uh, idea, we're never going to accomplish something great. But if we will come around the same blueprints, we will come around God the Father and his written word to us and his word to us and his Holy Spirit. If we will come around that and unite around our identity in God and the things God has called us to do, And I believe the world would be changed in ways that we could never even imagine because the world would see a people of, I may not agree with everything they say. I may not agree with everything they believe, but there's something they have that we need because there's something that happens that doesn't happen almost anyplace else. Just take a look around you in a room like this. You got people of different nations, different colors, different ages, there aren't many places in our world where that diverse a group will gather in one place for one event. I mean, you think there are, but think about it. There aren't that many places where that diverse a group of people would gather together and to be together. Now, maybe it happens at a sports stadium. I don't even think those are that diverse. Actually, last time I looked around, when I went to a sports game, there wasn't that much, as much diversity as we might think. But maybe it happens someplace like that or a movie theater, but you're not connected to the person sitting in the seat beside you. You haven't committed to love the person in, you know, section 103 seat, you know, row five, seat A. It's not the same. There aren't many places where you can come, where you get where Jesus calls this diverse of a body, different ages, different races, different cultures, different nations, and says, love one another. And if we would do it, there may be people that would say, I don't agree with everything they believe. But there's something there that they've got that we need. And the answer is Jesus. And so let us pray that we would be one. One commentator on this passage said this, If all believers are in God, then we are related one to the other in Christ by a far closer and more lasting tie than any earth relationship. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let us love one another. Let us bear one another's burdens. Let us sympathize with one another. Let us not wrong or misjudge our brethren. Let us love one another. Our musicians are coming, our worship team's coming. And as we respond to God's word today, Jesus' prayer ought to be our prayer. He had one prayer left that we know of in the Gospel of John recorded, one time that he took to really pray. And when he did, right before going to the cross, he prayed that we would be one. Now, either that prayer has been completely answered or you and I have some things to pray for today. Either that prayer has been completely fulfilled that the church of Jesus Christ is one as God intended it to be one, or you and I have some prayers to pray and some work to do. To be honest, I think it's a challenge enough just for those of us in this room to be one. And I think we've got work to do there I can do better at loving you. We can do better at loving one another. But then what about our campus in Belmont? What about when we go to two services? What about the churches that are in Burlington right now where people are worshiping the name of Jesus and serving this same God? What about the churches in the surrounding towns? Are we one as Jesus had intended to be one? about the churches and the rest of our state and our nation. Are we one? Does the world see a oneness the way Jesus had prayed for? If not, then we've got prayers to pray and we've still got work to do. So as we respond to God's word and we sing a couple songs of worship, I'm going to invite you to invite God to speak to your heart. So we're starting a new ministry year and, and we're doing this series as we jump into the fall and we, be, we really think of our ministry year, September to June, and most of our kids' ministries and things kind of run on that ministry year. And as we go into September to June, as we go into this, this, this new ministry year and this new year as a church, new opportunities, I'm gonna ask you, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here this morning, to ask God to speak to you. What's one thing you could do this year to bring more unity to the body of Christ I'm not asking you to you know unless God's. I'm not asking you I gotta start a ministry and maybe God's asking you to do that but I think oftentimes it starts with a relationship with another person in the church It starts with learning to love one another the way God has intended it. you can't do it for everyone you can't do it for every single person in this room but you can do it for someone. You can do it for someone. And are you loving the church the way God has called us to? I love what Andy says, Andy Stanley says, he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We ought to be doing that. You say, well, I don't know anyone. I don't know everyone. I don't know what's going on. Nope. But you know how to get to know someone. You know how to get to know someone in the church. So as we sing and worship, I invite you to ask God to explore your heart, speak to you as I'll ask God to speak to me. We'll have some people available at the front to pray for you, our elders will be here if you have a specific need you want us to pray for. This altar is open if you want to come and kneel and pray. And maybe that's the right response to this message. Perhaps there's something in your life and in your heart, and I don't know what it is, that God said that God's speaking to you and there's been division that's crept into your life, that maybe something has divided you from another believer, another follower of Jesus. I don't pretend that any one of us are blank slates when we walk in this door. Maybe you were raised with prejudice, discrimination, stereotypes in your background that you have never allowed God to deal with that comes between you and other members of the body of Christ. Maybe you found your identity in something other than the fact that you are a child of God, that you have raised something in your life as a higher priority than that. Or maybe you would just say my actions have been more about myself than what God is doing. If that's the case, then this is an altar. In the scriptures, an altar is a place where something went to die as an offering. And perhaps you'd come and kneel and lay down whatever it is that may need to die in your life and in your heart. Would you stand with me? Holy Father, God, we've been looking at your word today. And Lord, my trust is that your word are not just words on a page, but that your Holy Spirit is in this room and in this place right now. And that you're speaking to hearts. God, I pray now that you would give us the courage to respond. I pray now that you would make us into the people and answers to prayer, that prayer that Jesus prayed for. Lord, I pray now that you would seek and search and speak to our hearts, God. Father, make us more like Jesus right now. In this time, we pray. Thank you, Lord.